Hey everybody, Will Houck here with the Roots Rednecks and Radicals, and thanks for tuning in to the show this week. I got a great episode for you. I talked to Paul from Green Sky Bluegrass, and we had a great conversation about his songwriting, about effects, about jam bands, about the whole thing going on with that band. But before we get to that interview, I want to remind you to give me a follow on whatever application you're listening to this on. Apple Music, Spotify, Amazon, now I've got ways to follow the show. Um, it really helps me out when you do that. Also, if you could like and subscribe, that would be amazing. And if you're on social media, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, YouTube, uh, give me a follow there as well. Also, if you don't mind, it'd be super helpful if you just told a friend. That's one of the best ways to share uh, podcasts and things like that. And uh, I love bringing these episodes to you. So there you go. Let's get into this episode. Green Sky Bluegrass. If you know them, they're a bluegrass band. Jam grass, whatever you want to call them, uh, been around for a long time, putting out amazing music, uh, playing festivals, just kind of uh, killing it in everything that they do. Really interesting band, really cool guys, and had a great time talking to Paul about their music. Also, just wanted to give a quick shout out to the crew at Winter Wondergrass for helping me set up this interview. If you're in Northern California, Northern Nevada, um, the Tahoe kind of area, the, the, the show's happening at the end of this month, so check that out, and it's going to be a great time. So many great bands. Green Sky's going to be there, Trampled by Turtles, Molly Tuttle. It's going to be an amazing festival, so uh, definitely check that out if you're in the area. Here you go. Cool, cool. Well, um, yeah, one of the things I, I wanted to start off talking about was um, I, I've always loved the um, kind of unique instrumentation that you guys uh, have in the band, especially the, the Dobro, which um, adds a kind of a cool flavor. And um, I was just kind of wondering about the, the origins of uh, who plays what and, um, and how you guys kind of came up about with the, uh, the, the instruments and the sound that you have. Well, um, it's, you know, it's not so odd of an instrumentation for a bluegrass band. Uh, but we are also a pretty odd bluegrass band. So for a rock band or a psychedelic jam band, like we also are, it's definitely weird instrumentation. Um, we were a four piece band for a long time. Um, and then in like 2006, we met Anders. We had been a band for roughly six years, but only touring for a couple. Uh, we met Anders who plays the Dobro. Um, and he asked to join our band. Um, which is, you know, kind of like not a light subject, <laughs> but we went in, uh, full speed ahead. We took him out for a tour in late 2006, 2007, late 2007. Um, and then he joined the band right away. We liked it. It was fun. Um, his instrument, particularly since you mentioned the Dobro is pretty useful and awesome for our band because he has sustain, you know, like the length of his notes last, uh, banjo, mandolin, guitar, bass, they're all pretty plunky. Plink, plink, plink. Uh, he can go, Wee! often bands have like a fiddle or a dobro in a bluegrass band sort of, um, fills the same role. Uh, so it, it allowed us to like evolve the sound, I think in a really dramatic way. Um, that's crucial to what we do now. Um, in the beginning, it was an idea that made sense, and we were—I think—we were right, <laughs> which is a good feeling to have, I suppose. Yeah, absolutely, and and, and it's cool too how you guys have been experimenting with um, effects, especially too. Like I think about the Dobro, there's some kind of like distortion type effects or delay. So there's a lot of interesting sounds happening, especially with that instrument in particular. Um, when did you guys start experimenting with that? Um, I think right about that same time. Um, you know, for a while we played on a single mic when we toured like a bluegrass band does. And we did it because we didn't have a sound engineer and we wanted to control the way we 
you know, we were concerned with the tone of our instruments and the sound of the band. So we played on a mic to take the power away from the random sound guys we were using and all the venues we played. Um, and when we started to plug in, we all, you know, spent, did the diligence and spent the time to try to figure out how to make our instruments sound good. Um, you know, something that we take a lot of pride in. Um, we now have engineers to help us and stuff like that, but the idea of adding effects to acoustic instruments like we do um, is more complicated than just plugging a Stratocaster into an effects pedal. Um, electric instruments are designed for that, or the pedals are designed for the electric instruments, rather. So um, it's been an experimenting process, you know, with what works, you know, specifically related to my instrument. I play the mandolin. Um, I have couplet strings. You know, I have four, eight strings, but it's only four notes. There's two strings for each note. So there's like certain kinds of effects like that use pitch um, manipulation that don't work very well on the mandolin because the effect here is two A notes. And, you know, this is nerdy as hell, but uh, the two A notes are rarely, it's mathematically, in my opinion, impossible for them to be the exact same frequency, like on, on a computer level, like your ear hears them close and they're the same. But um, when I go into like an effect that does pitch modulation, it confuses the effect. I like, I just can't use them. Um, some of them I can sort of, but so there's been a process for, I use a lot of delay for this reason because I can, um, but the Dobro, he does use a ton of effects. Him and I are kind of effect guys, the do banjo and the guitar do as well, but him and I do more. He's also got like an eight, we have amps on stage for the acoustic instruments and there's like bypass chains. This is all super nerdy. Uh, <laughs> That's great. It's but fun. it's like, it's, um, it's kind of elaborate, you know, so you come see us and you're like, Oh, that tone he switched to is really cool. Well, we actually put a lot of work into that. And, um, it's nice to be acknowledged that it's cool. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's interesting. I was talking to I interviewed uh, trampled by turtles recently and uh, the, their bass player. And he was talking about, um, we, we were talking about translating these uh, acoustic instruments onto a, a festival type stage. And, and there's a lot of difficulty in that, you know, um, the traditional way, like you say, is one microphone, but, um, you guys are, are, are doing this kind of this new thing. And so it's just interesting how different groups are, are, are experimenting with amps and effects and just trying to, to do, do different things to translate that sound in, in, in this new way, you know? Yeah. The game, the name of the game used to be, be as loud as the rock bands. And that took time too. You know, like we would go play a festival stage and play against rock bands that are plugged in with drums and stuff. And they they perform at a certain sound level, decibel level. Um, and it's, it, it took skill. It takes an experienced engineer to even get a bluegrass band to that volume. Um, and it feels like sort of juvenile to judge the quality of the music by the volume, but it, it's, it's a real thing. <laughs> like being as loud and sounding quote unquote, the same as all the other bands, um, sort of becomes relevant to like discovering new fans. Like you go to a festival and you see two bands play and then all of a sudden we come out and we're like 70% the volume. Like you're probably going to not have as good experience and think that we're not as good. <laughs> Even if the songs are great and the performance is great, it's going to be, there's going to be some challenges as a listener that presents themselves that just lend to not giving us as good of a review or it, 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 you know, it's achieving a, an impression that is as good or something. Yeah, so, for sure. For sure. We've succeeded there. We are loud <laughs> and we do weird psychedelic sounds. 
That's awesome. Well, speaking of the psychedelic sounds, um, I'm, I'm kind of interested in, in um, uh, inspiration for um, where you guys kind of go sonically. I know you've done some uh, some Pink Floyd covers, and uh, I know you guys are Grateful Dead fans and stuff like that. But are there any uh, like newer bands or, or um, uh, bands that are out touring and stuff right now that are uh, inspiring you as far as like where you're going with your songwriting and experimentation and stuff like that? Yeah, I think a lot of the stuff you mentioned is a lot of that like sonic um psychedelic influence i was to a lot of pink floyd when i was a kid a lot of fish um and those are big influences for some of that stuff i think just like sort of the experimentation side of it like the unknown is a um an influence if that makes sense like mm-hmm. not necessarily modeling after somebody as much as just trying to achieve the unknown um Specifically to my mandolin, though, like the band Rare Order, um, their mandolin player, he uses a lot of the way too. He and he uses we he jokingly and affectionately is my dad, um, <laughs> John Skian, my father. <laughs> um, he influenced me to go to stereo. When my delay um, is two channels, so oh, like okay. more nerdy stuff. I love talking about nerdy stuff. Yeah, um, my delay will ping pong from speaker left to right. Like the left one will go ding, ding, ding. And the right one will go ding, da, ding, da, ding. So you're hearing like two mandolins at the same time. Um, and he opened that door for me and it's been just a world of fun since like I, when I'm at home playing for a long time and then I go back to tour and put my ears back in and I get to hear my effects in stereo. I'm like, Oh God. So great. I'm actually sitting in my basement right now where I have a mixing console and two studio monitors that I can plug my, board into so that I have a stereo reference because if I just plug my effects into an amp, that's only one speaker. It's, it's not a true reference of my effects. So I made myself a place at home to do it. Um, but songwriting wise, uh, lots of bands. I love the band Dawes. Um, the Taylor Goldsmith's a great writer. I recently, not recently, it's been a couple of years now, but um, the band Bahamas was a big influence for me. Afi. Um, A.P. Jorgen, I think is his last name. Um, not sure if I said that right. But you're going to put it in print, so it won't matter. <laughs> uh, he he did this album, Earth Tones, and I'm not sure another album has ever influenced me so much. There was so much like sonic, like and it was like an arranging thing. Um, Taylor is like a craftsman with words. I love the way that he writes. Um, and I put a lot of value into that personally like my word choice and what my songs are about and how I say the things is really important to me. Um, like even the nuances of really dumb words and really stupid things that most people probably wouldn't spend as much time thinking about. I spend a lot of time thinking about, uh, but Bahamas was like this arrangement thing. His songs have all these like really creative, like presentations about like the way the hook comes in and the way that the bass plays this role and the way the parts go together. And I, I can't recall ever having an album influence me as much as, that album it's called earth tones it's freaking incredible interesting yeah yeah i i, I do love uh, kind of geeking out on on uh, songwriting um as well and the the the, the poetry behind it because you, you with a song you have so little space um so few words um to to um to to craft you know and so every word has to carry a lot of weight you know so i, I think that is pretty interesting that whole process that is definitely the thing you know i i majored in lit in college so I wrote some longer form stuff, short stories and essays and all that kind of thing. And a song is short, you know, it might be even longer than a lot of people's songs. I just went and saw the band Goose uh, the other day for the first time. And, you know, they're 
reputationally and very much a jam band. They play very long instrumental passages, but I've noticed that a lot of their songs only have like two verses. <laughs> I don't know that I would have the restraint to write a song with that few verses. Like, I'm like, I don't know that I've written any songs that have less than three verses. Often I repeat the first verse, not often, occasionally I repeat the first verses, the fourth verse, but a lot of times I write four verse songs. Um, like you say, it's like, it's, you don't have a lot of time and space to get the ideas out and cramming a bunch of words in isn't, musical often so it's yeah. a real balance yeah for sure that kind of brings me to my, my next question too which is um on, when it comes to songwriting um how, how do you guys work that out as a band does one person usually bring the songs fully written and then you guys arrange as a band or uh, how does that generally work out for you guys it kind of it, it varies that's my answer to every question when i do an interview it varies um <laughs> uh some like I'm, i write a number of the songs for the band and i will bring sometimes a completed song and then we <clears throat> the arrangement process is like something that the band really digs into like what the instruments roles are who plays hooks sometimes the hooks are kind of written and sometimes they're not um sometimes the chord structures change um like i'll bring a song and sometimes as a band we'll eliminate a chord or something like that or add a chord or add part but that arrangement process is very much like a full band thing something we do together um but sometimes that process can be more um involved like sometimes i'll have an idea for a song that's very minimal um and even more recently in the songwriting my songwriting I, I do this more and more to sort of like involve the whole band early on i would often brought more completed songs now sometimes if i just have an idea i'm like hey, i have this idea and i wrote one verse in a chorus like how can we how can we do this and that, that often is like a, a rhythmic groove conversation you know like i'll write on the guitar and i have some <clears throat> limitations there as a player um so i'll be like here's how it sounds and here's how the chords and the melody go but like what if we try to do like a downbeat thing or what if we try to do like a this time signature thing and like how does that apply and then, then i switch over to the mandolin and figure out my role is there um and so those groove conversations can be you know pretty open um, we recently, <clears throat> not the last record we made, but the one before I have this memory of us being like, so like, you know, like re we released the ego in such a good way. Like nobody was coming as a songwriter anymore and being like, no, it has to go like this. Cause it's how I wrote it. Like that's a big mm. part of <clears throat> any kind of creative presentation. I think, especially when it's in a group, um, to like sort of release that to, in order to truly be creative as a group. And this one song we recorded like four different ways or something, um, mm. different tempos, different group, one of bluegrass backdrop, like funky. And then just like sat there in the studio, scratching our heads. Like, which one do we like? <laughs> <laughs> and like, we were like, so dismissed or so we had released the like ownership so much that it was actually like counterproductive because we couldn't make decisions like mm. which one's better we're like well that one's good because this reason and this one's good because this reason well which one do we want i don't know um <laughs> we uh it sort of got through that but i like and i i remember it fondly as like sort of a a really important step forward and also this like you know like uh what's the word uh, i don't know Stand still. Um, I was going to say, what's that? Where, where do you go when you're not in heaven, but uh, or hell? You're uh, in the like middle. Purgatory. Yeah, sort of a purgatory. That's what right. I'm looking for. Uh, <laughs> so. Yeah. 
That's interesting. It, I, I just thought about this while you were talking, but do, do you guys, um, ha, maybe you have released something, but have you ever thought about releasing like um, uh, extra takes? Like I know jazz records will sometimes have like, you know, the song and it'll be like take one, take two, take three. It'll be like different takes that they did of it. Um, do you still have those recordings and do you, you ever think about releasing those? Uh, it's a great idea. I never had considered it. Um, but yeah, it's a great idea. Uh, My Morning Jacket just did that. They released like a 10 year anniversary uh version of one of their records and they released alternate versions of a couple of the songs. Um, interesting. That's, that's a great idea. I mean, maybe we'll present that as an idea for maybe we'll do the same thing and do it for a 10 year release. Yeah. So, um, yeah, the uh, the album Stress Dreams is is uh, been out for almost a year now. It came out last January or January of this year. Um, but um, I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about the the recording of that album. Was it was it recorded during lockdown, or were you guys able to to get back in the studio together? How did how did that um, recording work out? Uh, the writing process was <clears throat> very much like through COVID. We were supposed to start recording that record in May of 2020. So like in March, we cleared our calendar. Um, and in May, it still wasn't safe to travel. We ended up starting in July um, under like some pretty strict protocol. Um, I remember being really freaked out to fly, mm. freaked out that I was going to have like a panic attack wearing a mask on a plane. Um, I survived and did it a number of times, many, 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 many times. <laughs> uh, so I don't mind wearing a mask anymore. If I keep, I'm sick right now from just my kids dumb cold from preschool and it's so annoying to me to be sick yeah. uh and it's not even that bad you can probably tell i'm sound a little stuffed up <laughs> uh maybe don't because you know what my voice normally sounds like but um so yeah we we sort of wrote the album through that period um and worked on it and you know that this record stands out to me as very unique because when we did get together to finally record you know, we went to this place and we started and we did the record in two different places in Vermont and North Carolina, but we did the first two sessions in this studio in Vermont. That's like very, very secluded. It's in like rural Guilford, Vermont. Um, and it's on this old farm. There's an old farmhouse and there's a really cool new building that the studio's in and a really cool new building that we stayed in. Um, and because of COVID, they didn't um, even really give us an engineer. Normally, there's like a house engineer that works for the studio, and then we bring our guy um, that we've made all of our records with almost. Um, Glenn Brown is his name. He's a wizard. We love him. So we brought him, but they just kind of gave us the studio. So we were in there alone, um, just uh, the band, our friend who pretty helped us produce, Dominic Davis, our manager, and uh, our engineer. And so we were like pretty secluded in this place. And then we were also so grateful to be playing music together. We hadn't played a show since early. I can't think I actually played a show on March 9th, I think was the last show we played in Phoenix. We played a one-off. So we hadn't played in four months, which was a long time for us. Um, we got together and did some video stuff right before we went in the studio. Cause we use it as an excuse to do pre-production for the record too. Um, but yeah, I just remember like the recording this record, we were so grateful to be playing together that it led to some really like patient, um, experimentation and development of the material. Like we would have seven days booked in the studio and we'd be like, why don't we make it 10? Or we'd have five boats and we'd be like, why don't we make it eight? Like we just kept staying longer and longer cause we were really enjoying playing together. Um, not to say that we didn't enjoy playing together when we made previous records, but while making all of the other records prior, we were really busy touring. You know, some of those years we made records, we maybe spent like 20 days on a record or something. We also played 
a hundred and something shows that year. So we were like kind of cramming in the studio time, um, and just really busy. Um, and when we made stress dreams, the only thing we had to do was make the record. We didn't have any shows to go play. So we went home for a couple months and then got back in the studio and then went home for a month and then got back in the studio, whatever. But, um, I think we approached this record with a lot more like patience and like in our experimentation and exploring like what the songs could become. There's a lot more like deliberate choices um, that were made with arranging and writing the songs. Yeah, <clears throat> that's cool. Yeah, that, that feeling of getting back together um, when when shows started opening back up, I, I remember um, the, the crowd feeling, it just felt different. Like everyone was so stoked to be there and the band seemed so stoked to be in front of crowds. And um, yeah, that, that playing, getting back together and, and hearing music and, and hearing live music, that that's that's really something. That was, that was, I'm glad we're back to it. Absolutely. Well, one of the songs that stands out to me on the album is uh, Absence of Reason. And uh, I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about that one. Yeah, I wrote that one. Um, it's, you know, it's kind of a weird, <laughs> I don't know what to say about it. Some of the songs I'm like really emotionally attached to, or like the, or the process of writing it is like this particular thing. That song's got a weird interval in it. Um, it's like an A to an F natural, which is a flat six nerdy stuff. Right. Um, it's not a common chord. Um, and I kind of just wrote it. Uh, messing around and I wasn't, it's a good example of the previous thing I was talking about where I just have an idea that I'm not like, I didn't develop it entirely myself. I brought it to the band and was like, what is this? What do we do with it? Um, and then sort of didn't know I worked on, I wrote a hook for like the, over the chord changes, that thing that comes in at the top that I wrote a different hook there. Um, our friend Lyle Brewer, visited us while we were in the studio in Vermont. Um, and I, he's a really great guitar player. And I was like, what would you play on this hook? And then he played that, he wrote that hook. Um, and it's just the arpeggio. It's like a real simple thing. That's real cool. But when he was, we were playing, writing it and playing it, I was like, Oh my God, it sounds like a, sounds like a James Bond 007. Like, remember the N64 game? Did you play that? Oh yeah. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I'm like, it just sounds like a James Bond song to me. It's kind of like haunting and, um, charging at the same time. So, uh, other than that, you know, it's like the, the chorus that I want to do right more than anything I do is kind of like this, uh, I think sort of inspired by the Gillian Welch song, Miss Ohio. Um, I want to do right, but not right now. I've always been fascinated by that lyric. Um, and I think that the chorus of absence of reason is sort of a reflection on that same idea. Like that, the, even the concept of saying, I want to do right, or somehow acknowledges that you are unable to, or unwilling to, um, which that's kind of the stuff I'm looking for when I write, as you mentioned, you only have a few words to say something. So if I can say something, and especially if I can say it in a real simple language, I want to do right more than anything I do. Um, there's no like heightened metaphor or like figurative language there. It's just like straight to the point, but it also insinuates something far deeper than just, I want to do what's right. I, I feel like um, uh, Mike Cooley from uh, the drive by truckers does that a lot where he'll have these like one liners that you just, the rest of the song, you're just thinking about that one line. You're like, God damn, that's really good, man. 
Nice. I haven't listened to a ton of Drive-By Truckers since Jason. I want to listen to the Jason Isbell era of that band mostly, so I'll have to check it out a more. Yeah, yeah. So um, that's crazy because they – so Patterson Hood, the lead singer, and, and Mike Cooley, they, they kind of – uh, write all the songs and then when Isbell was in the band he, he was like a third songwriter so for those albums they had three just incredible songwriters and um, those albums are, are crazy good but there's, there's some there's some good coolie ones in there um yeah there's he, he's just a, he has he has this like southern kind of like uh, wisdom about his, his songwriting which is really fascinating great i love that i'm gonna check it out Cool, cool. Well, um, you, you mentioned, um, you know, having emotional connections to the songs uh, on some of the songs. Um, what, what, um, for that record, what album or what, what songs um, stand out to you as like you felt really connected to during the recording process? Uh, Grow Together is the one on that record that resonates with me real strongly. It's the first song I had written after a real long stint. I guess after we make records, I kind of go a while without writing. I just did it again. <laughs> Uh, since recording that record, I didn't write for a long time uh, until recently. We're talking about going back in the studio again, so I sort of pulled myself out of the um, the break and started writing again more. I'm always like thinking about writing, like in my daily life. I take notes and like I come up with ideas for songs, but to actually sit down and execute the creative process sometimes takes me a little bit to motivate. Um, and part of that has become just that I've written a lot of songs. Um, and then not compared to a lot of great songwriters, I suppose, but like, you know, amongst our records, I've maybe written 75 plus songs and, you know, due to our instrumentation and the Western music, there's not a lot of other choices for me to make. I feel like sometimes that's not the truth. There's a ton of choices and I can remake the same choices, but I, that's the, what I tell myself when I get stuck. I'm like, I just don't know what to do next. I've already written this. I've already written that. I've already written this. Uh, <laughs> Grow together though. I wrote when my daughter was born, um, I was really moved by my wife and like, you know, the human process of like birthing a child, like what my wife had done for us. And uh, so I wrote that song sort of stream of conscious. And then what it was the first thing we recorded when we got in the studio too. And, you know, I've already sort of alluded to the power of playing music together. Um, we recorded it live. Some in this record, I did that a lot more than I'd ever done before. I'd often like, I normally wouldn't sing live when we track because I like to go back and sing overdub i like to overdub them um as a singer i just love that process obviously i sing live every night on stage and i'm, I'm capable of doing it that way but um, it also gives me a little bit more freedom to like work on my phrasing as a singer um in sort of a less instinctive kind of way um while i'm playing mandolin i tend to sing very you know just like to just sing um uh, but to be able to sing without playing the mandolin i'm I can really think about like how long the words are, where I'm placing the words or like which emphasis, just like really intentional kind of stuff, you know? Um, and when we were starting to warm up, that's the first song we went with. And it was like, I just want to go for it. And everybody's like, just go for it. And um, I just remember being so moved in the studio, like more than I've ever been maybe um, like with the mo I was crying while singing and just like, huh. I was really emotionally moved. It's a really personal song for me. And it's also like a really positive personal song for me, which is rare. Uh, most of my very personal songs are about pain and fear and regret and things like that, um, that I'm very intentionally sharing things that you would expect to cry about, mm -hmm. um, or be emotionally moved about. But I was just like overwhelmed with emotion. I still am when we play it. So like that song is very personal and dear to me. Um, yeah, there's a couple others too. Um, what's the one? Until I sing, 
It's kind of that way. We don't play that one as often because it's kind of this mid-tempo thing that it's hard to fit into a set list. But that was also a really real thing. Um, feel useless without a purpose until I can sing for you. Um, hmm. Just just COVID, you know. I was just like at home, and one day just picked my guitar up and started singing, and that's what I was feeling. And then that's what I wrote. I wrote the whole song in like ten minutes. Hmm. Interesting. Just kind of sang it. Like didn't even write it. I just sort of started singing and <laughs> wrote a song. I mean, it was like real stream of conscious stuff. Um, yeah, they're, they're different. They can all be kind of different like that. Like the absence of reasons, like I said, it's not the lyrics and stuff aren't as personal. Not that they're meaningless in some way, but sometimes it's more of an exercise and sometimes it's more of a cathartic process. Um, and I think they, but both of those two sides of my writing sort of yield different things. Like give a shit, for example, on the record is sort of a, a process experiment, a process. There's like a real plan words thing happening in that song, which I think is highly creative, um, you know, to toot my own horn, whatever, but <laughs> you know, sometimes like grow together. I don't view that as, as creative as give a shit grow together was just like a cathartic thing that I just wrote. It's emotional, um, emotional, not creative. I think maybe that's the difference mm-hmm. for me. Um, one of them is like a more analytical thing, like give a shit. And it's a, there's some weird chords in that song and some arrangement stuff. That's like more of my, analytical nerd side Hmm. um and then grow together is just this emotional piece you know that just comes comes from different place in me or something more from the heart less from the brain i don't know yeah uh (laughs) yeah it's interesting i hadn't thought about that like there's different parts of your brain like frontal lobe is more about like logic and stuff like that and then the limbic system the amygdala is about more emotional centers so it's interesting that it could be like different parts of your brain that are focusing on different different types of songs when you're songwriting you know Uh, it's kind of interesting yeah i I mean i clearly i use both my whole brain (laughs) my whole soul for every song but there i could go through all my songs and divide them into the two categories like and i do that and I try to be intentional about that when I am trying to be creative too. Like I mentioned that I just went um, and did the writing retreat and wrote some bunch of songs. Um, I would sort of flip flop. Like I get into a real emotional heavy thing and I'm trying to just write from emotion and then I'm not thinking so much about the chords and the way they move and stuff like that. And then I kind of get stuck or something. And then I'm like, okay, well let's do some nerd shit. And then I'm like, what if I try and write using this chord? How can I approach it? And then take my music training into full account here and be like, okay, well you can approach this chord from this chord and it sounds like this. How does that work? And then I just start writing melodies and be like, Oh no. And what if I change the time signature and I do that kind of stuff? Um, that process slows me down. If I'm in an emotional place, like when I wrote grow together, I just started playing chords and singing and I didn't stop to be analytical of what I was doing at all. Even word choice. I went later. I went back and edited my analytical brain comes in as an editor, (laughs) but in all cases, but I kind of approach songwriting from those two different places, um, you know, individually and very intentionally. You know, I have these ideas where I'm like, oh, I'm going to try and write a song that's in this key signature and I'm going to use these two chords together, which are really weird, figure out how to make it work. Yeah, that's fascinating stuff. So um, what uh, upcoming projects do you guys uh, uh, got coming up this next year? Are you going to be um, uh, releasing some new, um, some new songs? And you got a new album coming up, um, hitting the road? What, what, what's going on with the band? Uh, we just released, we did a Record Store Days um, release. We released a 45, two singles, which were B-sides um, from the last record. We didn't release all the songs from Stress Dreams. I mentioned that we did a lot of studio time. 
for the first time ever, we recorded songs, not the first time ever, but more than one. Traditionally, when we record a record, if we have songs that we don't want to use, we just don't record them because we don't have enough time, as I've already alluded to. Um, you know, maybe we have like one or two songs in, per record um, in the can that never came out. But with this record, I think we have maybe like six songs that we recorded and we didn't even release. Uh, so we released two of those. Um, so those will come out digitally eventually. It's kind of a record store day thing. So it was like physical only, which is cool that they do that. Uh, those, so those will come out soon. We have another live release coming out. We, we're doing sort of like uh, compilations from tours. Um, and then we got real busy doing shows and we haven't released one of those in a while. So we have one of those coming out from our fall tour of 2021, which we did with uh, special guest Holly Bowling, pianist that we play with a lot. Uh, we did a whole tour with her in that fall and she played the second set with us every night. So we have a compilation coming out from that. That's all tracks featuring her. And then we got some stuff on the radar with her this year. So that'll be cool. She, we're doing a, an event in Iceland in June that we just announced and went on sale for, and that's almost sold out. Um, she'll be there with us. We got that coming up and we're going to go to a studio with her in Iceland and do some recording. Also, we don't know um, what's going to become of that yet. It's just kind of an experimental process. Cool. Well, so if uh, people want to know more about you, find you online and you know, buy merch and stuff like that, what, what's the best place to check you guys out um, online? GreenSkyBlueGrass.com. We just launched a brand new website. <laughs> Fantastic. It probably won't matter to most people. It just looks a little different and functions a little better as technology improves. You know, The store is better, so that would be nice for people that want merch. It functions a lot better than the old one. For sure. That's great. All right, man. Well, I appreciate you taking the time to chat with me. Um, I'm glad that you nerded out a little bit on the effects and the songwriting <laughs> process. I love that stuff. So, um, uh, Thanks, man. I appreciate the questions. I always like talking about it, but you know, it's not for everybody. <laughs> yeah, cool. And hey, on uh, on that Cooley, Mike Cooley from Truckers, um, the, check out the song Carl Perkins Cadillac. That's a, okay, a, great. a great example of, uh, of his songwriting. So. Great. Love that recommendation. Thank you, man. All right. Well, have a good day. You too. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. Just a quick reminder to follow me on social media, Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook. If you haven't already, like and subscribe to the show wherever you're listening to this. Hit that subscribe button, leave me a rating, and tell a friend. Until next time, everybody, have a good one.